Hello everyone, and uh, welcome to this episode in our podcast mini-series of Getting to Better Together. This is hosted by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership within the University of the Sunshine Coast, and I'm your host, Richard Borden. Before going any further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. It's this notion of custodianship of the land that I want to pursue in this particular episode, not from the specific perspective of Aboriginal people, although that, of course, is incredibly important, but for all of us. With 80% of us in this country living in towns and cities, it's perhaps not at all surprising that there's an ever-diminishing understanding of our direct relationship with the natural world, and thus uh, we rarely assume responsibility for it. In fact, we've got to the point of having lost our respect for it. And this neglect is contributing to some emerging dire consequences with climate change and even the COVID-19 pandemic as examples. So how can we turn the situation around? My guest today, Professor Tonya Gray, is a senior researcher in the Centre for Educational Research at Western Sydney University. She's an award-winning educator and a distinguished researcher. And she's been long passionately concerned with responding to this challenge through what she refers to as outdoor education. Hello, Tony, and welcome. Hi, Richard, and good afternoon to your listeners. What, uh, what do you mean when you talk about outdoor education? What is it and, and how is it done? Yeah, well, let me just start by also acknowledging the land that I'm on today, the Darawal people, who walked gently, respectfully and sustainably on this land for thousands of years before us. And I also acknowledge this land was never ceded, was and always will be Aboriginal land. So outdoor education, wow, great question. I fell into this career, Richard, by default in many ways. I was a health PE teacher and I ended up at a school that had what was called wilderness studies in 1983. So nearly 40 years ago, serendipity played a role. <laughs> <laughs> and that then charted my, my life course, my career from there. In a nutshell, we used to take these children out for extended periods of times in camps in, and um, put them through wilderness settings, whether it was abseiling or hiking from A to B, navigating on their own, learning autonomy, decision-making, teamwork, etc. Right. I, um, at that point, realised anything I was doing in the classroom with my PE health lessons paled into insignificance. So there was something magical. It was like nature was a superfood and we couldn't bottle that up and use it in the classroom because obviously there's this disconnect because most classrooms and most actually if you were to do a study on most classrooms today they would be sitting indoors today looking at a screen and listening to the teacher so what i found very quickly was when you give children the opportunity to make mistakes to take ownership of their own problems and sought through it in a natural environment it was like it enlightened this light bulb within them so okay I, I nodded my head and thought well this is pretty incredible and decided to go on my charting directory to do um, my PhD so 12 months 
these children are in the, the bush in a really remote, pristine area. And I wanted to see whether all the things that I'd seen at this school, it's called Chevalier College in Barrel, would also be replicated in this year-long program. So the bottom line is we define outdoor education as in, about, and for the environment. But there's also three other pillars, and they are self, others, and the natural world. And those absolutely hold the fabric of this learning area together. Now, I taught this class in 1983, 84, 85, 86. So for four years, I had them in a year nine onwards in school. And I've followed them through for that time, you know, 30 years later, I did a study on them and all of them <laughs> still had their logbook. Now, their logbook in those days was a, a written journal where they would sit and write silently in solo or do artwork or just reflect on the days that had been in their hiking. And I was dumbfounded by that as well. Like, why this journal when these people who were now in their 40s and, and heading towards 50s would have moved home 20 times perhaps traveled the world you know you know what it's like when you're 40 all the things you've either gone through marriage breakups blah, blah, blah. they still had this as though it was their cherished memory it, it had a heart space for them so that also showed me the power of the written word, especially handwriting, when you're doing these outdoor learning experiences. So it's not just, you know, going through it. And I don't want to diminish Outward Bound, but what they're doing, because they've changed their philosophy very much, where that once upon a time, it used to be just get from A to B as fast as you can, climb harder, blah, 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 you get the picture. Semi-military training. Yes, that's right. Very formal in their approach. Mm -hmm. Whereas now we're realising you don't need to go gangbusters. There's actually the mindfulness in nature, which has inherently more benefits than than that conquer at all costs philosophy were you uh, were, were you a rural child did you were you brought up in the countryside look that, that's always a great question i think that parlayed very well into why i chose this well no i, I didn't choose it i got tapped on the shoulder i was a horse rider so my whole wow. childhood was freedom on my horse in the mountains exploring so when it came to lifting heavy backpacks or getting dirty and sweaty it was like yeah this is this is normal <laughs> so that gelled as well so yeah your point Richard I think if you've had a childhood experience it resonates and stays with you throughout life which therefore leads to where your lovely introduction came from which was why are we so disconnected from it now in the 21st century especially in the school curriculum which is driven by stem you know science technology engineering mathematics so <laughs> for your listeners i'm not sure they know that the word kindergarten comes from a german philosopher way back in the 1800s which said um kids in the garden and when you put those words together you have this also epiphany like of course kids in the garden that's where they absolutely come alive that's where you see their creativity on top their playfulness their yeah they just develop into these amazing human beings when you allow them the, the unbridled freedom to do it their way 
I remember when uh, when we first met, which was years ago now, I was uh, intrigued. I knew nothing at all about outdoor education. I knew about outdoor learning, but not about outdoor education. And I related to it very much because, as I used to uh, tell a whole lot of people, the most inspiring teacher I have ever had in my life was my first primary school teacher. And we lived uh, in the country in, in England, and we used to walk to school about um, a mile in those days. Uh, along the hedgerows and across fields and so on. And her question to us when we arrived at school every morning for a select number of kids, different kids every time, was what did you see on the way this morning that was different from yesterday? Now, what an extraordinary question. Now, I was a farm boy, so I was perfectly used to running free, to use your phrase, uh, and respecting animals and working with the land and so on. And of course, this was long before chemicals and pesticides and, and even tractors. But that question seemed to sort of focus in me something that I had never thought about before. What are you observing about nature? And in essence, her question then went on to what you've been talking about and what's your relationship to it? She never said that, but it, it made me sort of self-aware. Did you have a sort of an awakening along the line somewhere, something like that? I did actually, Richard. I was so fortunate that I had the same kindergarten, year one and year two teacher Mrs. Walsh, and she, her husband was the scoutmaster from the rainforest at, at Mount Kembla, Kira, sorry, Mount Kira. And she would always fill the classroom with those stories of wonderment and the natural world. So it's like it's an anchor. If you really want children to be attached and have an affinity and a lifelong love, such as the stewardship that's so important in these days when we're on this cataclysmic road to destruction, that that teacher is what I'll call a lightning rod. They keep the energy going in you beyond the storm. Yeah, so that's what I notice. And therefore, in our teacher training now at the university, <laughs> we try and bring this in as much as possible where we get them outside and... The stats are one in four children has never climbed a tree anymore in Australia. Is that right? And uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's unconscionable on so many levels because our childhood, Richard and myself, was so different to what a modern childhood seems to be immersed in and we see it they're just totally on a screen if you try and take that screen away from them they chuck a hissy fit or a tanty or whatever and it's like it's become the local the a drug just like soma in a brave new world like that drug keeps them fueled <laughs> drives them for their life and you think wow, this is really bad. We don't even know the impacts that this is going to have on the child's brain because it's also relatively new in, the, in our research domain. And um, to me, it's a it's really difficult dilemma that our educators face. And not only that, we have a double bind because our school system is so entrenched in NAPLAN scores, these you know performance metrics which keep us so indoors, so attuned to like these outcomes rather than developing the whole child. What has happened to the holistic development of these wonderful 30 bright-eyed faces in front of us each yeah, day? What, yeah, what indeed. I always find it ironic these days. Uh, I have uh, nine grandchildren and uh, in bringing them up, 
uh, they always wanted to go and find a playground somewhere. And um, so we'd go to a playground and it would be surrounded by trees and nobody would be climbing the trees, they'd all be climbing the, the playground. And I thought when, when COVID first came and they, they bounded them off with tape and said you can't play with them anymore, uh, nobody thought, well, why do we climb a tree? Uh, so you're quite right. It's sort of the, the world has become so artificial uh, that unless the, the artificial thing is there, you can't deal with the abstractions around you. It's, it's a really interesting commentary. And not only that, we're so risk adverse, like as yeah. helicopter parents, we want to bubble wrap them. When in reality, children should become risk technicians. Mm -hmm. They should know what the limits are to their body, their mobility, their strength, mm -hmm. whatever else you want to put there. Whereas while ever we keep them cocooned in this hermetically sealed world, we're doing them a disservice. So, yeah, we need to really radically rethink our education system because, to me, we need to go a lot more rogue and buck the system and say we know what's right for these children. We see so much suicide and unrest and bullying in that system. Why don't you just drop it and start again? One of the things I find uh, fascinating about your work, uh, again, in, as distinct from my experience, certainly, with also with... Um, with Outward Bound, is that you brought a formal learning model to it, experiential learning. Um, many people aren't aware of, of what that actually means. They think it's learning by doing, but it's much more than that, isn't it? Yeah, so much more than learning by doing, because we could all have the same experience, Richard, like I might drive the main street. And because I've just bought an Audi or whatever, you notice all the Audis on the road. So we can all have the same experience, but because what's in our, you know, that vision that we've just had exposure to is, is what drives the way we think. But beyond the thinking, there has to be reflection. And in that reflective cycle, which we bring so much into the outdoor education world, is processing it by saying, what, so what, now what? Those three anchors drive the outdoor ed experience. So, okay, it got lost. So that was the what. So what did that tell you? Perhaps we didn't navigate correctly. Maybe we took the wrong bearing at this point. And then the now what is, okay, from here on in, I pay more attention to when I have to make huge decisions that we double check, triple check, and then go. So, you know, little things like that, they're metaphors for life. And we try and bring that into the classroom environment and then bring it into their real life as well. Like, okay, where in your school life have you rushed into something and not planned and not reflected and not processed learning? So it's very, very much brings about what I call deep learning, not this superficial fly by the seat of your pants learning. Because, you know, some, too many people also have the same experience and don't have the same learnings. <laughs> so it's, it's so individual. And that's why I think the log books, the journals, especially with your handwriting, helps to still. But we know when you write a shopping list by hand, you might forget it as you walk out the door, but because you've written it, you're probably going to remember 95% of those things on the list. There's something that ingrains into the memory when the hand is incorporated. And we know that the Indigenous communities used it with basket weaving for them to tell their stories. They'd be doing things with their hands the whole time to yeah. help ingrain those memories. Yeah, it's very important. 
It's um, one of the interesting things, and I'm sure you did that in your journal entries. In, in my experience with experiential learning, people also learn to, to express their emotions and their feelings. So it's not just, I know this, but as a result of what it is that I know, I feel this. And I find that uh, an extraordinarily important part of, of uh, what we might call a synthesis of, of experiential learning, rather than simply sitting down and being told, what it is that someone wants to tell you. Yes, and it's so important to tap into that heart space. You know, whatever your major learning experience was in life, I bet you your emotions were attached to it. Whether it was learning to do a clutch hill start, you know, you would have felt a failure. So it's feelings and emotions that bubble up to the cert. And we've got to be able to firstly acknowledge them, secondly process them, and thirdly, put it out there as this was, you know, major learning experiences or MLEs, we call them in the classroom, only happen when you allow yourself to have some failures because failures are beautiful. Don't be afraid of having them. And that's also one of the things that I find hard in this contemporary education system. Children don't like to fail. And you think to yourself, wow, that's where my best crystallization of learnings came from right you uh, you've brought this of course into your own life haven't you tell us about the uh, the homeward bound experience mm. that was at the uh, for the whole of 2018 we did a leadership training course mm. and then at the beginning of 2019 we went to antarctica these are 80 women i'm talking about mm. and um we had science experts social scientists etc but the whole idea was if you bring a, a group of like-minded people together you coalesce and galvanize and the exponential gains out of that trip how, how were you recruited Oh, yeah, you had to apply, you had to do a film, you had to put all the CV together. And then there was some hard curly questions that they asked you just, you know, like, are you suitable? Type, like, as in, they was really complex questions. So everyone around the globe, I think in, in our trip, even though there was 80 women, I think there was something like 40 countries involved. Wow. So we saw this beautiful melting pot of cultures and how others did it differently but what we can learn from one another and carry the me message forward and now we have this amazing collective of women we can tap on the shoulder and the co all cohorts talk to one another not just my cohort yeah. so it's about uh, elevating the rising eminence of women as the um, the next generation of leaders because quite honestly richard for too long we've limped along on one leg which was the male model of leadership and we haven't had a balanced approach to how we should lead in the world so now that we see so many more women coming on board and you know that's another love of mine is the gender differential and the asymmetry that's existed for way too long and the invisibility of women even even down to my field outdoor education if you were to google most famous people in outdoor education, guess what comes up, Richard? <laughs> They're all like me. All men. All <laughs> men. And not only that, I laugh at some of the people that I see on there, like Bear Grylls, you know, the adventurer oh, from God, yeah. And you think, wow, Bear Grylls, he has Megan Hind, who is his scout. In other words, she goes out and does every expedition or feat, you know, physical feat, 
before him to make sure it's safe for him. Right. Yet no one knows Megan High. You know, like it's all yeah. the Bell Bear Grylls. He gets the notoriety and the kudos. And well, the thing that always strikes me is that there's a cameraman the other side of the tree. <laughs> That's exactly right. And even down to my field, Kurt Hahn is the forefather of outdoor education. If I hear that word one more time, I'm oh, going really? to scream. <laughs> Believe it or not, Marina Ewald was his co-founder. Kurt Hahn himself suffered from sunstroke, so never, ever went on an expedition. Uh, it was No, I'm not. That's why I'm going to scream if I hear it again. And <laughs> Marina was the wo woman who did all the legwork, all the grunt work and all of the philosophy because she was living it, breathing it, being with the kids. So there you go. That's just two very simple examples of how women, when we're actually acknowledged and come together in a coalesced group, we can achieve remarkable things. And I'm thinking we're starting to see the dawning of a new age, especially you know, even down in, in government at the moment, you're seeing women really rising in eminence. We had uh, Cathy McGowan on recently, and that was a perfect example of, uh, of that. Um, and you yourself, of course, have become uh, interested in actively in, in politics, haven't you? Yes, maybe stupidly, who knows? I'm running for local council for the Greens when, when they're eventually on. It's been pushed back again till December. But look, yet again, it, it came from, you know, all of our actions come from two drivers, inspiration or desperation. I was inspired by our mayor, our Greens mayor. She is phenomenal. We had the Currawan fires here at uh, the turn of 2020 and she was remarkable in the work she did. But by the same token, that desperation, when I start to see the misogynistic cave dwellers, I'll just call them that, who make the council chamber just a toxic environment of mudslinging, I think it's time for women to say, you know what, by standing back and not doing a thing, you're actually adding to the problem. And energy that, such as criticisms that don't go anywhere is just goes into a, a black hole. So it's time, those of us who are unhappy, put our hand up and start to say, we can do it better, we can do it differently, and let's unite. There's no desperation in listening to you, Tanya, but there is inspiration. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And we'd love to come back to you and uh, hear more about your journeys. Uh, anytime, Richard. I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I look forward to meeting you again in our next episode.